0: This morning's reading is from 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, We commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Just in the quietness, in the stillness, let's pause. By your Holy Spirit, we pray. Glorious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts. Touch our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Do please grab a chair. Thank you very much, Mike and John, for the invitation to be preaching here. It's great to to be here. I'd love it if you passed the congregation here. Start off with a question for you. I wonder can you think of an experience you've had of something that is glorious? Okay. It might be perhaps a, a sunset that you've experienced. You know, the golden red. Or it might be something in the natural world. I mean, Bridget and I, we love the murmuration of starlings, the extraordinary swirling pictures that you get as the starlings swoop together through the sky. It might be a sublime piece of music. It might be the most wonderful strike from just outside the penalty area that curls into the top corner. It might be a dazzling jewel it might be a captivating painting. It might be a brilliant performance on something like Strictly Come Dancing. It might be a magnificent sporting victory, like the one that England had over South Africa yesterday, a real nail-biter. What was it that made it glorious? Glorious. Was it this, something about the magnificence, the perfection, that nothing else can touch it? That beyond comprehension. And how did it feel when you encountered it? Did you have that kind of gut feeling of being moved, of being grabbed, of being captured by it? But sometimes... You may think something is glorious and other people just don't get it. So I think that when Moeen Ali, the England cricketer, s- strikes her with a cover drive, a ball to the boundary, and his right elbow is up and his weight is forward into the ball and everything is perfectly timed and the ball skids across the grass to the boundary. There is little more glorious than that. But some of you are probably sitting there and thinking, what is he talking about? I just don't get that at all. And just to be clear, if any of you's glory moments were strictly come dancing, the boot is on the other foot. (laughs) Glory. Glory is uniquely and supremely the property of God. Every single other expression of glory that we see and experience around is but a pale reflection that points us up to this God. The one true glorious God. But it may be here that some of you this morning are feeling at this moment, I've never quite got this glory or it may be that I once did have this glory, I did know I had experienced it in vivid vibrant colour but now it's become rather a dim, deathly pale grey what you once longed to share as we all long to share our experience of glory we no longer want to do Or it may be that you've become distracted by what is really a pale reflection of this glory, the glory of God. And this is what has captivated you, not the God who is glorious. And that brings us to our letter to the Corinthians in our Bible passage today. I'm not very high-tech with this, so we'll see as we go on the way. I'll, I'll put some of the verses up. But if you have a Bible accessible, it's much better for you if you have that in front of you, because I will need you to be doing some work and looking with me. But I will put this up at points, I hope, on the way. So we're in the middle of a letter that Paul has written to the church in Corinth. What's Corinth like I don't know, i have trying to think of a useful way of, expre- of comparing Corinth with today. It's a cross between London, Portsmouth and Brighton. You kind of get it? So a commercial, vibrant city, London, a port that is Portsmouth, and Brighton, which is right on the edge in all kinds of ways, that's Corinth. And Paul has gone to preach there, and the church has been founded which is incredibly exciting. But since that day, for various reasons, Paul has moved on. And as he's moved on, the relationship with the church in Corinth has become somewhat rocky. And most recently, the particular um, rockiness in the relationship is that some other itinerant ministers have come into this church in Corinth and started to badmouth Paul. He's just a bit pathetic, he's just a bit weak. He's not really very impressive. He's a rather feeble specimen in all kinds of ways. And we've been seeing over these last few weeks how Paul has responded to some of these charges. In our particular reading today, he addresses them much more specifically, if you like. He defends himself. And maybe the way he's responding is to some of the real charges that have been made against him. Maybe he's anticipating them and heading them off. And maybe there's a little bit about he's saying, well, I don't do this. But these other ones, these imposters, these ones who've wormed their way in do. But this is a fight for their affections. But it's not just a fight for their affections. It's a fight for their understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ and a fight for their authentic faith. But rather than jump straight through to what Paul does and the things he does and the things he doesn't do, his actions, his behavior, if you like, I want us to take a step back for a moment and look at what he believed. His convictions that we see here. Why? Two reasons. I don't know if you ever tried to, um, stick, uh, use superglue or something like that to connect two surfaces together. What does it say around, um, when you try and use super glue? It says make sure the surfaces are clean. Because otherwise, if you don't, if you, if it's not clean, the glue doesn't stick, they don't stick to each other. Is that right? And it's exactly the same thing here. We can have all kinds of do's and don'ts you can try and stick on, but unless the convictions are clear, they just won't stick. So we need to be clear about the convictions. The second reason why we're going to think about his convictions first is this. when you hit, We're not the Apostle Paul. We're very like him in lots of ways. We're supposed to share his convictions, but he had a unique ministry. And if you're going to look at where is... Where are we as Christians in the 21st century to be found? In many ways, we're closer to the Corinthians he's talking to rather than to Paul. So yes, we can learn many things from him, but we also want to sit in the shoes of the Corinthians. So we need to get behind what he does and doesn't do to his convictions. hope that makes sense. So his convictions were all rooted in Glory. Three of them. Here's our first one. Verse 1. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. I'm sure you've heard this said. But when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you ask what it's there for. Are you familiar with that? it brings up in a little word therefore all the previous chapter really and in the previous chapter which we had John preaching on a couple of weeks ago and you can um, you get a much fuller version of what I'm about to say from those few moments from him and much better in many ways I think than that but Paul in the previous chapter has been drawing attention to a glorious new covenant that's his first conviction there's a glorious new covenant How so? Well, you see in those previous verses, at the end of chapter 3, the word glory or glorious occurs. Any ideas how many times? Auction? How many times do you think? Someone said six, I can hear. You're allowed to speak? 24, that's a bit too high. I I can go to an auction with you. Um, 13 times, 13 times word glory or glorious occurs. Why was it such a glorious new covenant? Well, they were looking forward to the day when God was going to write the law that had been written on tablets of stone onto their hearts. He was looking forward to that. They were looking forward to that day when he would pour out his spirit on all people when their hearts that had been hard now became soft. When the, the condemnation that they'd experienced, because the problem wasn't with the law, it was with their hearts. When the condemnation that they'd experienced was given way to them being right with God. And when they were people who were transformed by God's Spirit. And that's where we have, and see if you can listen, how many times do you think the word glory occurs here? Chapter 3, verse 18. And we all who with unveiled faces reflect or perhaps contemplate the Lord's glory about being transformed into his image from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. How many times? Three. So even then, this new day is a glorious day. Now, it's a beautiful, sunny day today. Um, I don't know if you've had this experience in your home or you've experienced it in some, a friend's home or somewhere else, when the sun shines onto a neighbor's window before it ever comes into your house. And then sometimes you can see the sun almost radiating into your house. Have you had that experience? something like or maybe just look out and you're on a hillside and you can see not the sun itself but you can see a window far away with the sun shining on it and the picture we have here is of extraordinarily by the work of god's spirit you and me as we look round this church building are radiating, reflecting God's glory. Because in each one of us, if we trusted in Christ, our hearts have been softened. God's spirit has been at work to give life, to change, to give glory. And so Paul says, his first conviction, the wait is over. The day is here. It's a glorious new covenant. That was the first conviction he's got. Glorious new covenant. Here's our second one. I wonder if you can see those verses just there. Any echo of the start of the Bible? I can see a few frowns. The last phrase who is the image of God. Remember in the opening chapter of Genesis, humanity is made in God's image. Or again, have a look here at our verses in verse 5 and 6. Any echo of the beginning of the Bible? If you're listening carefully to Mike at the start, he gave a clue. Have you got it? It let light shine out of darkness. Can you see that? For God, He said, let light shine out of darkness. So it's not just a glorious new covenant, it's a glorious new creation. So you've got the Apostle Paul, he's on the Damascus road, and then suddenly a light shines on him. He falls to the ground. And this is a, darkness is scattered and this is a new creation moment. As he sees when he's been blind, as darkness gives way to light. And says Paul, this is true for every single believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. We once were blinded, we once were in darkness, but the light has shone. And this is a glorious new creation moment, a glorious new creation. Look, it's no surprise because the covenant from the very beginning was meant to, to renew creation. The whole Bible story fits I fit together, as Mike said at the beginning. It's not scrapping the world and starting again. The covenant was God's way of recreating the mess that there's been, scattering darkness, scattering death as the light comes in. So can you see it's a glorious new covenant, his first conviction, it's a glorious new creation. And the third one, it kind of holds together with all those together. It's the glorious Jesus Christ. Can you see that at the end of verse 4? The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. Or again, if you can look at the in verse 6. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Christ. The glory... It's about the glory of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think back to chapter three, we looked at a couple of weeks ago. Moses was talking then about, um, so Paul's talking about Moses' experience in the Exodus. And in particular, the giving of the law, when he gave the law, his face shone. And there's another echo, I think, here. And I'm going to read these verses from Exodus. And I want you to see if you notice the connections between the story in Exodus, I'm going to read out these few verses and what we've been thinking about. Okay? You ready? Moses wants reassurance from God as he leads the Israelites. Verse 18. Then Moses said, maybe you should raise your hand when you spot a connection. Then Moses said, now show me your glory. <laughs> you weren't very dutiful there. You can raise it metaphorically, but you're with me. Verse 19, the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Echo the face, do you see that? Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I've passed by. Then I'll remove my hand and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Can you see Moses wanted to see God's glory? And God said, no, 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 you can't see my glory. And what? Paul says is we have been given the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus Christ so when we want to know what God's glory is like we look at Jesus Christ the glorious Jesus Christ when you see him touching a leper, and healing them, you're seeing the glory of God. When you're seeing him welcome children and sitting on his knee and they giggle and laugh, you're seeing the glory of God. When you see him raising the dead, you're seeing the glory of God. When you're seeing him welcoming the outcast, those on the margins, those hated by society, you're seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And the Lord asks us today, as our conviction, have you gazed on glory? Have you gazed on glory? I could actually almost stop there. We're going to see what it looks like in practice in one particular example and work those out. But that's the question. Wouldn't it be a great moment, a great day to gaze afresh on God's glory, the glorious new covenant? The glorious new creation, the glorious Jesus Christ. But what does it look like? Let's embed that in reality. And the first way we're going to embed it is with Paul himself. What does Paul do in his life, in his ministry particularly, as one captivated, as one who's gazed on God's glory but of course we're in many ways a little bit like Paul, especially when we're looking to share the good news of Jesus Christ. When we're looking to share the good news of Jesus Christ, we're very like him. But also in our Christian lives. In many ways a close connection with Paul. In our normal Christian lives, not identical with Paul, because this is a specific ministry. We're not told to do exactly what he did here, though there are many connections. But particularly, as I say, we're thinking at this moment about what does it mean in Paul's evangelism? He's showing his faith. What about for us in our evangelism? What does Paul do? He's gazed on glory. Verse 1, what does he not do? This is our do's and don'ts. This is the sticking. of this. We've got the, hope the convictions clear. The, glue, the surface is clean. Now we're sticking things on. Verse 1, we do not lose heart we don't slack off the christian ministry can be really tough the christian life can be really tough our conversations today conversations this week which remind me is how tough it can be sharing the good news of jesus christ can be really tough there can be a temptation just to pack it in it's just too hard if you've gazed on glory To How can I slacken off? I think of my friend Isua in Nigeria. He's training pastors. Really difficult situation. He posted this in the Facebook this week. Tiredness and discouragement are twins, and both have been visiting at my place the past few days. But he's gazed on glory, and he keeps going. Or another pastor who contacted me this week. We're all a bit exhausted and weary. But he keeps going, because he's gazed on glory, or another pastor I was talking to, and they were saying, "Now lockdown's coming to an end, and we're kind of get back to normal trying to get everything going. And the church wants us to keep going. People say, "Let's get everything restarted." and you say, "Well, can you help?" And they say, "Well, I'm not sure I can. I'm just a bit too exhausted." People are weary. If you've gazed on glory, you keep going. And I have to say, it's incredibly humbling to be part of a congregation where there are so many people who do so many amazing things in service of the Lord because people have gazed on glory. What else does he do? What else does he do or does he not do? Do you notice what he doesn't do? Verse 2, we've renounced Secret and shameful ways why would you get involved in shameful things when you've tasted glory it's ridiculous it's inconceivable why would you ever think of doing that what do you mean by shameful ways did you see he unpacks it there we do not use deception we don't try and trap people into believing what else doesn't he do Nor do we distort the word of God. If you've got glory, why would you deceive people? Why would you distort it? Why would you water it down and adulterate it? If you've got some vintage wine, why would you water it down? How can you do that? Well, I think for some examples. Well, I remember working on um, on a a mission years and years ago and... uh, with a bunch of youth, there was a kind of big um, rock concert event. That the, the speakers were probably bigger than the lectern, maybe even as big up here. They were massive kind of speakers, bigger than you could ever have imagined. And the beat was booming, and there was no clear gospel message. But then there was a gospel appeal for the young people to come forward, and it felt to me like each one of the beats of the drum was like a, a hammer tenderizing steak so that these kids came flocking forward at the end. This was, for me, a disgraceful method. There was no gospel appeal there. Or closer to home, it's possible when we have some kind of guest event, when what we do is, uh, we we know there's going to be a clear Christian message at the event, but we don't put it clearly on the poster. Or when we invite someone, we just say, would you like to come to something the church is doing And people aren't expecting any clear message from that. Or what about distorting the Word of God? Well, there are any number of ways of distorting the Word of God, aren't there, that are around at the moment. On the one hand, there's the kind of over promising come to Jesus and you'll be wealthy, come to Jesus and your sicknesses will all be healed, come to Jesus and your problems will all be solved. Those are distortions of the Word of God. Or the other side of the truth. Come to Jesus. You don't have to change. You don't have to do anything different. He loves you, glorious truth. But He doesn't leave us as we are. Whether it's around our use of money and how our pockets Many places and churches, we don't talk about that because it's a bit inconvenient. Or it could be about our sex lives, or it could be about our use of power, or how we treat people, how we forgive people. We can trim those bits out to to suit the audience that we're with. But no, what does he do? He sets forth the truth plainly. Why? Well, why wouldn't you? If you've gazed on glory, why wouldn't you do it? Or he goes on to say another thing he doesn't do. What we preach is not ourselves. You might think, ha, if it's all about glory, can't the minister bask in that glory a bit and have a bit for themselves? Isn't that kind of what you'd expect? We love the celebrity culture. You've got celebrity this and celebrity MasterChef and celebrity strictly come dancing and celebrity whatever it might be. The pointless celebrity, the chase, pretty much celebrity. What we like Christian celebrities? A bit of glory for the pastor, for the minister. as one that, Preacher put it every congregation's temptation is to place their leader on a pedestal, every Christian leader's temptation is to want to be there. But he says, No, 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 if you've gazed on glory, there's glory for the Lord. But I don't preach myself, it's not about me, it's about Him, His glory, His honor. In fact, I'm not just His servant because He is Lord. I am your servants. This is the only place in the Bible where the preacher, Paul, talks about himself as the servants of those he's going to. To completely turn their world upside down. He's not there to get glory from them. He's there to serve them. So can you see? It's not a list of do's and don'ts. As if it's a kind of stick them on, is because he's gazed on glory, the glorious new covenant, the glorious new creation, the glorious Jesus Christ. These are just inconceivable. You would never do that. How could you do that? How could you do that? Ah, oh, but you might say, Well, oh, I know it's all this glory, but lots of people don't believe. How can it really be that glorious? Paul said, you're exactly right. You're quite, I'm completely aware people don't believe. Did you see that? Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Why? Because the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's not a problem with the message. It's glorious. Not a problem with the messenger. I'm pretty weak, but it's not, that's not the issue. It's that the God of this age has blinded people's minds so they cannot see. And the wonderful truth is, as the good news is preached, God shines his light in and scatters the darkness. And glory, the glory of God in the face of Christ is revealed. So that's our first thing. What does it mean? For us in our evangelism, in our ministries... But also, don't forget, as I said at the beginning, we're not identical with Paul. What about us as ordinary Christians in our ordinary lives? As we're finishing, two things. What do you look for in a pastor? It's great I can be here. Mike can block his ears. John's out with the kids and youth, and isn't that a great thing to be doing? What we looking for? We're not looking for an impressive pastor, are we? We're looking for one who's gazed on Glory. We're looking for one who comes to you as a servant. We're looking for one who proclaims Jesus Christ as Lord. We're looking for one who keeps going, he doesn't slack off. But Matt, you should do more slacking than you're doing, Mike. <laughs> we should encourage him with that one. But one who doesn't distort the word of God, one who sets forth the truth plainly. No pastor is perfect. We've got a lot to thank the Lord for here. Let's pray for Mike and John and love and support them. It's tough. It's really tough. The Corinthians called great angst to Paul. Congregations, we can cause great angst to our pastors. But what about if you're, your child's going off to uni? Or you're about to move to a new place. You're going on holiday. Or your friends moving to a new place. The temptation is to go to a church which is alive, energetic, vibrant, What we're looking for is a place where they've gazed on glory. Not necessarily impressive, successful, but one that models what we see here. But it might be, as I say, that we have lost sight of that glory. We've, that vibrant, vivid colour has gone a bit grey And today is a wonderful chance again to gaze afresh on glory because we're going to be taking bread and wine. And that reminds us in that moment the glory of God is seen in a cross as he dies for us. John's gospel, this is Jesus' hour to be glorified at that moment. So come to him again and gaze on his glory. Say, Lord, open my eyes. I want to see your glory again. Go home, read a gospel narrative, see the glory of God as Jesus walks off the page. If you can't read a whole gospel, go to the passion narrative, to the last few pages Jesus died. Read a gospel and see again the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Have you gazed on glory? Shall we pray? Father God, we do bless you and praise you for what was hidden for so long. But we get glimpses in the Old Testament. We get glimpses in our lives. We see supremely in the face of Jesus Christ. Your glory. But we want to gaze on glory again. By your spirit, scatter the darkness afresh, that we may indeed gaze on glory. Amen.